message today is entitled, Do You Know Your King? Passion Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week on the church calendar. To honor the week that leads up to the crucifixion and beyond the cross, we must start with the proper perspective. Otherwise, we miss receiving all that God intends us to have. On this original day, over 2,000 years ago, it was a compromised perspective that was to blame for so many seeming worshipers of Jesus deserting him only a few days later. How can that be? Thus, I want to explore the Bible today, what the Bible says, not tradition, but what the Bible says, so that God can give us his divine perspective. Believe in that if we start this week properly, we will finish strong. Amen? Matthew 21, verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. This was the beginning of what we call Passion Week. It was an incredible scene when Jesus and his entourage approached Jerusalem days before his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion. So many Jews thought they were giving a coronation for their new king as Jesus entered the city. Believing that he was about their new king, they believed he was about to overthrow the Roman occupation that had oppressed Israel for many years. The Jews would soon be waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna in the highest. Jesus' own disciples would soon be beaming with pride, believing that they were chosen to be part of the king's court, which was now entering with such great honor and praise. But neither the crowd nor the disciples had the right perspective. For Jesus was not approaching his throne in Jerusalem, but rather his death on Calvary, on the cross. Yet the incredible thing about this is Jesus allowed it all to unfold with all the pomp and circumstance. He knew that the people were cheering for the wrong reason for the wrong outcome, and that their praise was only conditional based on Jesus fulfilling their desires of what they thought a Messiah would be or what he would do. So why did Jesus allow that? Why didn't he confront their wrong thinking, their conditional praise, and their manipulative attention? After all, he had spent the last three years doing the exact same thing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He confronted them all the time when they had wrongful thoughts. Even before they said something, he said, I know what you're thinking. He he stopped when someone had the wrong perspective, the wrong motivation. Why did Jesus go through with this grand interest, this, this grand coronation? You know why? It's because Jesus was a king. Jesus is a king. He is indeed a king, but as he would soon tell them later, my kingdom is not of this world. Thus Jesus let the events unfold and instructed his disciples on how to prepare for this triumphal entry. Matthew 21, verse 2. Saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loosen them and bring them to me. Jesus would enter on a donkey and a younger colt. Why? 
It wasn't because he needed to be carried like many other kings that wouldn't even let their feet touch the ground. Jesus walked up amongst us. We already know from last week's teaching that when Jesus comes again as the eternally victorious king, king of kings and lord of lords, he will enter on a white horse to gather his kingdom. But this time, why would he pick an older donkey and a younger colt? It's because the old and the new together would symbolize that Jesus connected and fulfilled the old covenant and the new and everlasting covenant. He tied those two together. Remember, Jesus did not come to abolish the law. These people that were singing Hosanna and raising the palm branches thought, okay, here he comes, he's going to get rid of the law. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And in doing so, he was able to be offered up as the perfect sacrificial lamb without spot or wrinkle, without blemish, without sin. His sinless life would be offered on the cross as the Passover lamb for us if we recognized it and received him. Verse 3, And if anyone says to you, anyone says anything to you, you shall tell them, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. You see, God had already prepared the hearts of the people to give. He had anointed and appointed certain people to play these ordained roles for assistance. Even before God accomplishes his will, he sets hearts in order. He prepares your hearts. God has prepared all of your hearts even to be here today. Even before you received Jesus, God was working on you, preparing your hearts. So God prepares people to be part of his will. Verse 4 and 5. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, all these events were prophesied by both Zechariah and Isaiah. Their king was now coming to them. And while we know that everyone there in the Jerusalem streets did not have the right perspective of a king, in their mind they had different thoughts for what the king should do. So they had the incomplete perspective, the wrong perspective. And so we need to make sure that we don't fall into that same trap and just celebrate when we don't know what we're honoring. We need to make sure that our perspective is enlightened by the word of God. So let's talk about, again, we don't know because we don't have a king in our country. We fought and got our independence from that. So what does it mean to be subject of a king? In what ways are people expected to honor a king? Because Jesus talks about he is a king. Well, first of all, through movies and media and stories, most of us know that when a king enters a room, everyone bows or takes a knee. Do you know why that's done? It's to show honor. In fact, in the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, The King and I, there's a popular scene where it's noted that the king says to Anna, your head shall never be above the king. When I was in high school, I played the role of the king. I shaved my head. Not all of it grew back. In this, the... the (laughs) Still waiting. If the king sits, everyone sits. If the king lays down, everyone lays down. 
etc., etc., etc. You guys see that musical? All right. (laughs) It was all done because of honor. It's the way that they honored a king. Their head could never be above them. So how does that apply to our King Jesus? Well, your head must never be above the king. What does that mean? 1 Peter 5, 6 says this. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. We are called to first humble ourselves before God. Let not your pride puff you up thinking that you deserve to be saved because none of us deserve it. Or that you deserve to be part of the family of God. For the truth is that none of us deserve what he has given us. That's how we stay humble and not let in our pride. I deserve a whole lot more. We see this playing out in society. You ever hear of the word entitlement? Mm-hmm. Don't, that's not just a cultural thing. That's the enemy trying to put his head above God. I don't have to go through difficult times and trials and struggles. I'm entitled to this. No. If we are to honor the king, our head should never be above his. We should not think of ourselves as we deserve it, but rather we receive it. We're not worthy, but we receive it with love. Keeping our heads below the head of the king means this. These are truths in the Bible, and this is what it means, that we need to acknowledge these as truths. First of all, Romans 3.10 says this, There is none righteous. No, not one. No one is righteous. Jesus was the only one who lived this work and, 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 and was a sinless person. That's what the Bible says. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. Everyone has sinned. And yet there are traditional churches, even today, teaching that someone walked this earth and was without sin. There are churches that teach that Mary was without sin. That cannot be because it contradicts the Bible. Jesus was the only one because if Mary was perfect, then she could have won on the cross and given her life as the the lamb without blemish. Jesus was the only one. Now, there's a lot of great people, a lot of holy men and women, but Jesus was the only one because he was the only one that was born without a sin nature. All of us have sinned. All of us need Jesus. That's what the Bible says. If we think that someone else could make it on their own or someone else didn't need it, then we put our head above the king. Everyone's head is to be below the king. Romans 6.23, first part, says this. For the wages of sin is death. Because we've sinned, we, the, we, our wage is to, is to have death, eternally, eternally separated from Jesus, from God, because we've sinned. When we humble ourselves, when we acknowledge that we are lost without him, that Jesus is not a choice, but a necessity, it's only then when we, we receive the rest of Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. It's a gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But he gives it to us anyways if we just receive him. That's what gospel means. It means the good news. The gospel. We receive this gift. We are deserving of death because we've sinned against God and we couldn't make that way back. So Jesus became our reconciliation to cross over this chasm so that we can be one together with God forever. Amen? And the Bible says this, he will, he will not, no one can take you out of my hand. 
Now you may have condemnation that condemns you when you sin, and you may feel guilty when you sin, but that's the enemy trying to get you to walk out of God's hand. If Jesus died to give us everlasting life, it means it lasts forever. Not, it doesn't, you don't just lose it because you messed up. Guess what? I mess up all the time. I do. And I go to God and I repent and I ask for a confession. I ask Him to give me strength and I, and, 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 I, and I feel His love and forgiveness and I continue forward. He died to give us everlasting life. Don't let shame or condemnation keep you from that. Acknowledge your need for Jesus Christ and that keeps your head below His to honor Him for the greatest gift ever given. Amen? When we humble ourselves before God, we allow God to lift us up. That first verse said, if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt you in due time. The problem today is we want to exalt ourselves. We want to lift ourselves up and say that we are deserving or we are entitled or we're not that bad. Yes, there's good people, but we all have sin. We all need Jesus. And when we acknowledge that it's Jesus who lifts us up and gives us something that we couldn't do on our own, He reconciles us with well, the second thing we must understand about a king is that his people are only assured protection if they remain subject to the king. You've heard about kings and their royal subjects. Subjects mean that they are subject to the king. They listen to the king. They, they treasure the king's wisdom. We must know our place and we must stay close to our king through the word. That's how he's still speaking to us today. It's not a history book. It's how he still speaks to us today. I gotta tell you, our morning Bible studies at 10 a.m. If you've not been there yet, man, if you could make it even once, it's it's been powerful, powerful. I know we do other Bible studies the week, but it's been growing and the questions and interaction. And boy, what a great time to get closer to God. Every Sunday at 10 a.m. We need to stay close to God in His Word, however, whatever path we choose to do that. Psalm 61, three and four says this: For you have been a shelter for me a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Listen, this is not a cliche or a cute thing to say, but rather it's a word of direction. We must be in His Word. We must run to Him in prayer and take shelter in His promises and apply His truth to our lives. It's not enough to just say amen or to agree to it, we have to actually apply it and we have to live it. That's what it means to depend on Jesus, is to live out these truths, that He is our shelter. All of us go through challenges where the devil tries to separate us from our God. To combat that, we need to encourage one another. That's what the body of Christ is for. That's what the church is for. I don't know if you remember how hard it was. I do. When we had to stop coming to church. That's tough. If that's our place for encouragement and rallying people and, and help one another and serving, and we had to stop doing that when the whole world shut down, and we would come on Saturdays, our team would come in and we record messages and still do that, but it was tough not seeing everyone. Praise God we're able to meet. But we need to encourage one another because the enemy is always trying to pick us off. He is. We need to stay together and encourage one another and bring 
each other back to the Word when we get upset and we're offended or hurt or whatever. We need to bring people back to the Word. And when I stray, bring me back to the Word. That's what friends do in a family. We, we need to make sure that we all encourage one another. Bringing us back to the Word. Applying His truth to our lives. And as soon as you think that it could never happen to me, guess what? That means you raise your head above the king. Paul and Peter, the great people who wrote the New Testament, all failed. We need to stay humble. Stay under the protection of the wisdom of our king. Are you looking for a great prayer? I bet you some of you already do, do this. But a great prayer to make as your personal acknowledgement of God's will for your life every day? When there's trouble in the world, you call 911. How many of you know God's 911? It's in Psalm 911. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. You have to make it personal. Verse 3, Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. He shall be your, His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. That has to be our prayer. It's rough out there. But God is our tower. He is, when we are under His wings, we are under His protection. That's how we stay subject to our King. Well, the next thing that we must understand that in order to approach a King, it, it requires that someone brings a gift. That's like how you open the door. When you approach a King, you have to bring a gift. Let me ask you, what can we possibly give to our Almighty King? He has everything. The Bible says He owns the cattle, cattle on 10,000 hills. What can we give our King? What kind of gift can we give Him? I want to share some gifts that we can give our king. First Chronicles 16.28 says, Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Listen, this is not a directive just for the Levitical priests who bring their offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. This goes out to the families. Notice that. To the families of the people. To the common woman, to the common man, to the common child. We are all to give God glory and strength, which means we need to praise Him with our whole heart and mind and body. It has to be more than words. How do we praise God and give Him glory? By how we live. It's easy to lift our hands and praise God in here. How do you live out there? When you take on the name Christian, you're taking on God's name and putting it on you. People see that. That's how we give glory to Him is how we live. And it's hard. And things happen that are unfair and unjust. And we get wounded and hurt. And that's when people look to see if we're authentic. How can we give glory to God? That when I mess up, I acknowledge it. That when I go too far, I apologize. When someone comes to me, I seek forgiveness and I, and I offer forgiveness. 
when things get so difficult, we're pulled into conversations about how bad the world is and how bad Russia is, then we say things like this. Boy, things are bad right now. But I'm so thankful I have Jesus. Boy, things have never been as bad before. as people killing and dying in all places. But I can't, I'm so glad that Jesus is my anchor. You don't have to have a big spiel about how you can share Jesus. God's never given us an easier way than it is right now. Yes, it is horrible right now. I can't believe what's happening over there. But I don't know what I would do if I didn't have Jesus. That's all you got to say. Guess what? People start, what do you mean? What do you mean? When they come to you, the Bible says that God will give you the words to say. You can talk what Jesus is in your life and how he gives you stability and how he's your strong tower and how you run to him and how you abide under the shadow of his wings. That's all we got to say. But we got to say it. He is our strong tower. That's how we give him glory. How we act. How we react. How we perceive. In all things, we need to understand that God is the one who saves us. We cannot save ourselves. He is the one that empowers us. It's not our talents or our abilities or how well we can speak. He's the one that gives us opportunities and blessings. He's the one who leads us through trials and gives us rest. First Chronicles 16.29 Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. God is due glory. It's due to His name. When we hold it back, we're holding something that's due for Him. We are commanded to bring Him offerings. What kinds of offerings should we bring to the Lord? Well, first of all, we should begin with an offering of praise. Prayer is not meant to begin with what we need. Too many times we go to God, God, I need this. God, give me this. And I understand that. God knows our hearts. But that's not how prayer was meant to be. Do you remember when the disciples asked Jesus how, how to pray? Remember, they, they didn't say what to pray. They said how to pray. So it wasn't about a formula. But it was about this is how we should pray. We say this every week in here. Do you know how it begins? It doesn't begin with give me or can I have or please give me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, blessing, praised be your name. That's how we are to begin. When what that does is we don't start the prayer up here saying, God, give me something. It says, I'm going to start the prayer with my head below you and I'm going to honor you because God's word says he knows what we need even before we say it. And so when we honor him, just spend time in his presence. We're humbled. That's our offering of praise to Him. We remain humble by coming before God with honor and praise before we begin to ask anything. Then God responds to the hearts of His humble people. Well, the next offering we can give Him when we come into His presence is our thanks. We all have so much to be thankful for. I thank you so much for praying for me. I know a lot of you pray for my wife and I uh, all the time. You have no, you have, may have no idea what you, what your prayers do, but I do. Sometimes people pray for certain things, for someone to be healed, for the, for a job. But sometimes what God does, He just holds us in place. We have no idea what He rescues from, rescues us from. 
I was here Wednesday night, and we were doing a service Wednesday night, and uh, they were singing a song, and I had to go downstairs um, during the song to get something. And the lights were really dim there, and I tripped down the stairs. Now, nobody knew I left the room because they were worshiping God, praise God. Thankfully, I reached out and grabbed a hold of the railing, and I, and I, I caught myself. We have no idea how many nights, and I, I attribute that to your prayers for me. I just do. We have no idea how many times that God has saved us. We can only look at the things we need, the things we think we need, but God does so much for us, and so we have so much to be thankful for. We thank Him for our past. We thank Him for our salvation. We thank Him for the fact that He hears us and that we hear Him. We thank Him for the blessings we can see and the blessings that we don't even see. We thank Him for our family and our friends and our church. We're so glad to be part of this church that God called us up here. 1 Chronicles 16.34 Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endures forever. Again, let us remain humble as we understand the gift of mercy. It's not just another Christianese word. The gift of mercy. Let us never take for granted what Jesus did for us on the cross and what He still offers to us when we confess our sin and repent and turn to Him. Let us thank our God for giving us the opportunity to repent multiple times. You know, the enemy says, you've already sinned like that before. You've already asked God for forgiveness. God doesn't want to forgive you anymore. Has He ever said that to you? Yeah, He says that to all of us. He says that to all of us. But God says, come to me. Come to me. Confess your sins. I will cleanse you and I will heal you. I will forgive you of your sins. And I will give you strength to continue on. That's what God says. Let us be thankful for that opportunity. Though we deserve death, His grace and mercy are open to those who acknowledge Him and place their faith in Him alone. We're also asked to give our lives to God. What does that mean? We ask that God would use us for His will to accomplish His purposes. Okay, that sounds like a nice thing. What's that mean? Well, what if God wants to show someone forgiveness because they have a hard heart? Would you be willing to say, God, I trust you so that God causes something very difficult to happen to you that's unfair so that God could off- allow you to forgive someone else? Would you do that? If it brought someone closer to Jesus who has a hard heart and they did something difficult to you that was unfair and unjust, would you be obedient and say, God, give me your strength. I forgive this person. If that's the way that that person gets into the kingdom, yeah, we're going to have some hard feelings now, but it's worth it for eternity if that person can be broke, that pride can be broken now and that person can receive Jesus now. It's tough. It's tough. But when we God, what we can give God is say, God, I give you my life. Use it for your will. It doesn't mean we all become preachers and evangelists and worship leaders. It means, God, I want you to use me to accomplish your will in this world. And I trust you however you choose to do it. It's not easy. But we are instructed to offer a living sacrifice. In fact, in Romans 12, verse 1, it says this. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It doesn't mean that we get back up on the cross. It's not what it means. But we offer a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We worship God by letting Him use us for His will. Before we ask anything from the King, we are called to confess our sins, to appropriate His grace through forgiveness, so that we are seeking to be holy and pleasing to God. We all will mess up because we have a sinful nature. But we must be open to conviction when the Holy Spirit convicts us and and hand it back over to God. Repent and turn to Him. Well, another very important offering that we all can give to God, and we all should give to God, is our willingness. You know, I think one of the saddest stories in the Bible is when Jesus would go all over Galilee and He would heal the sick and and, and heal the, the lame and the, give sight to the blind man. Then he went to his own town of Nazareth. Do you remember that story? Do you remember what happened? It said that people, Jesus did not do many miracles there because the people were unwilling to believe that he was the Messiah. Oh, come on, that's the carpenter's son. We know Mary, we know his brothers and sisters. Can't be the son of God. They were unwilling to believe and their unwillingness limited Jesus. Your unwillingness to trust Him or your unwillingness to, to believe limits Him because He will not go over your will to command, demand something that you will not give to Him. That's why we have free will. He asks us to come to Him. He doesn't make us all come. Otherwise, He would have made a bunch of robots that just walk automatically to Him. He gives us the gift of free will. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12. If you know me, you know this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Whenever I do counseling, I always begin with this verse. 2 Corinthians 8.12 For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. What does that mean? It means God is not expecting you to give Him a perfect life. He's not expecting you to be perfectly holy. He's not expecting you to have all the answers. He's not expecting you to only make one mistake and never fall again. He is asking all of us to give Him a willing mind and a willing heart. God's not looking for you to have all the answers, nor is He asking you to have all the strength that you need to persevere. But if you give God your willingness to trust Him, to bring about the needed changes in your life, then that is what God accepts. I've talked about this before. We know the story of Jesus with the Thousands of people on the hillside, and they had nothing to eat. And the little boy gave a few fish and a few loaves to Jesus. There's no way he could have known what Jesus was going to do. He probably thought, I'm going to give this to the teacher, but I'm going to give it willingly. And you know what Jesus did? He took the bread and the fish, and he thanked God. And God multiplied to meet above and beyond the need. When you give God your willingness and say, God, I don't know how to get out of this situation, my tax collector's calling me. Lost my job. My kids have turned against me. 
I'm problems with my health, whatever it is. God, I don't know, but I trust you, God. I'm going to give you my willingness to trust you. And I don't know how I'm going to work it out, but it's not my job to figure out how. My job is to give you my willingness. Because your word says that if I give you first a willing mind, you accept my willingness. You don't look at what I don't have or what I'm not giving. Whatever it is for any of you, if you trust God, especially when you don't understand, and say, God, I'm willing to trust you, He will come through. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. He will make a river in the desert. Streams in the wilderness He will make for you if we trust Him. And when you don't have enough hope to trust, then you call upon one of us and we will stand with you. That's what the body of Christ does. We lock arms. We don't let anybody fall back. That's not my words. Please don't think I'm trying to use my charisma to share. This is what the Word of God says. We need to go to Him. We need to give Him an offering of our willingness. This is how we approach and honor our King. And finally, let us remember that Jesus is our King and there's only room for one to sit on the throne. The throne of our hearts is reserved for Him alone. Let us not think that we make the rules or that we put God in a box or that we define how Jesus should reign as king. That's why they wave those those palm branches. Here is our king. He's going to do this for us. He's going to save us from this. No, it's not our job to define his role. He already defined it right there on a cross. Love. Perfect love. Our job is to trust him and to honor our king. If we can simply understand that He alone is King of our hearts and King of our lives and King of the universe, we will not sing hosannas one day and then shout crucify Him the next. If we stay in His Word and discern His voice when He is speaking to us in prayer, we will come to know His will and offer Him freely praise and glory and honor and thanks to His name. Therefore, with an attitude of humility, understanding all these things and the reverence for our King, let us approach this day with the right perspective, keeping our head below His. Matthew 21, 6 and 7. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set Him on them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you perfectly fulfilled the old covenant. Thank you for the gift of offerings, the new and everlasting covenant. We humble ourselves before you this day. We lift you up with our praises and thanksgiving, and we offer you the throne of our hearts for you alone to sit upon. Help us to be loyal subjects. Help us to obey your promptings. Strengthen our wills by your most holy will. Always keeping us mindful that your will be done. Matthew 21.8 And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The clothes on the road? That's a picture of our submission to God. As we strip away our pride. Strip off our egos. 
our puffed-up knowledge and our self-confidence. We cast it all down and come before You, Lord. Jesus, have Your way in our lives and in this, Your church. With this renewed understanding of who You are as King and how the journey to Your heavenly throne had to go through Calvary, we honor You, Jesus. Let us always remain humble when coming before You. Lord God, for the things that we've done, for the times we've erred and wandered and didn't trust, for the sins that we've committed, forgive us, God. We understand what we deserve. And we thank You, Lord God, when we come to You and we confess our sins that You forgive us completely. Yes, that memory will always be there, but the truth is in Your Word. Thank You for forgiving us and making a way. We praise you with a right heart and a right perspective. Matthew 21.9 Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. We worship you, King Jesus. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who has come in the name of the Lord. We give You our allegiance, O Lord. We give You our hearts and our lives as we look forward to Your eternity in Your presence. Long live the King. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the power of Your Word. We thank You, Lord God, that it touches us. That it changes us and humbles us if we receive Your Word. Lord God, we come before You now with our head below Yours. We acknowledge that we have fallen. We acknowledge that we have not always listened. That we have been stubborn. Lord God, we come to You right now. And we honor You as our King. We thank You that You are our answer. That You are our hope. Our rescue. You've already come for us once on Calvary, Lord God, and you're coming back as the King of Kings. Keep our eyes on the hope that we have in you. We thank you for the power of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.